Hello, hello. I'm Savannah. And I'm Alicia. And this is Burden of Proof. Welcome, everyone. Hello, hello. We're into February at this point. Yes, we are. How's your February treating you? Hopefully, it'll be shorter than January was. <laughs> January was long. January was the longest. And February will be shorter, scientifically. <laughs> True. I thought about that as soon as I said it. I was like, wait. Although it is a leap year. Oh, it'll be a little longer. Yeah, but still shorter than January by yes. at least a couple days. <laughs> True. Mathematically. The We're Mayans figured it out. Here. Yeah. I mean, listen, facts. I'm not a Mayan expert, but they did make a great calendar. So there you go. Well, welcome, everybody. And thank you to all who have joined our Patreon. <gasps> thank you, guys. We will give individual shout outs when. Uh, yeah. when we can <laughs> yeah we don't record like the week of we record a yeah, couple weeks we, in advance yeah today so. is for for example today is january 27th yes and this episode comes out like the, the eighth, second the 8th of february yeah. so the second week is what i started to say but yeah so thank you thank you thank you we love in general you. we appreciate all the support and we look forward to being able to dig into some cases a little deeper and get those court documents as well as, you know, who knows what the future holds. Hell yeah. So, there you go. I hear you've got a basketball case for us today. I kind of do. I do, I do. All right. Did you guys know that Alicia is married to a real uh, hoops. hoops player? <laughs> His name is Hoops. His name is Hoops. <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah, no. So those of you on Patreon can hear that whole that whole wild conversation that we just had. Yeah. Um, but for the rest of you, I will share. Yeah, we were talking sports and my husband was nicknamed Hoops, not because he's actually a great basketball player, but because <laughs> he's tall and most people think that he probably was a basketball player. Yeah. So his friends jokingly called him hoops after he, he played like one year i think like eighth grade or something yeah and that was it yeah so hoops hoops shout out what are you gonna do what are you gonna do <laughs> <laughs> not play basketball is what he's gonna do oh anyway all right so today's case is about jimmy fitzgerald mclean jimmy fitzgerald mclean what a Who name was a basketball player he was a basketball player Okay. Um, okay. So Jimmy Fitzgerald McLean was born in Lundell, Arkansas, to parents Charles and Jamela McLean. All right. The McLeans were a large family, with Jimmy being right in the middle, the fourth of eight kids. Oh, that's a lot of kids. You know, like I said that weird. Eight kids. A lot of kids. That's that two. is a lot of kids. You have a lot of kids. I have three kids. And that's a lot of kids. And that's a lot of kids. Eight is a lot of kids. I'm going to get really stuck on that. <laughs> I come from a family of one boy, one girl, donezo. Yes. So. Well, by all accounts, Jimmy was equally academically and athletically inclined. And after graduating from Elaine High School, he went on to attend the University of Central Arkansas. Here, he received a bachelor's degree in marketing while gaining star status for his skills on the UCA basketball team in which he was actually teammates with Scottie Pippen. Impressive. I don't know who that is. 
Yes. So I thought that might be the case <laughs> for our younger listeners and or sports challenge people like myself. Scottie Pippen is a seven-time NBA All-Star who played for the Chicago Bulls. Most, I would say most famously played for the Chicago Bulls. I think he played for like another team or two at some point. But he played for the Chicago Bulls when they were like peak, like when mm. Michael Jordan played okay. with them. So at which time they won like six NBA championships. All right. So basically, Scottie Pippen is a big deal. And Jimmy McLean played alongside him in college. And at the time, Jimmy was considered right up there with Pippen, at least in determination, as he was nicknamed full-time because he put everything he had into it all the time. I don't think we nick- time. I don't think we nickname people enough anymore. I agree with that. I feel like we people need more nicknames. I agree with that. Like I full like, time? That's a dope nickname. I like nicknames. Like hoops. Hoops is good. <laughs> I like hoops. I like full time. Now, um, Jimmy's basketball career did take a different path than Scottie Pippen's though. I figured because I had heard like when you said Scottie Pippen, I had heard the name, but I yeah, and I assumed it was basketball, but I didn't know like what he did or like why yeah, he was I, a good player. But yeah. I had never heard of Jimmy, so yeah, kind of figured. Well, that- Scottie Pippen is that's quite a name. Like you're that's a memorable name. It's a no good name. What, it's a great name. So yeah, Jimmy actually he did play professionally for over seven years, but from what I could find, it was mostly like either overseas or like minor leagues. Okay. Okay. But he also continued his education and he received a master's degree in management from Strayer University. All right. And then at some point there, he uh, decided to settle in and take root. So he did so in Memphis, Tennessee or near Memphis, Tennessee and Cordova, I believe. All right. And there he taught business classes and coached basketball at Ridgeway High School. Then in the late 90s, he met Carla, a single mother of two children, 16-year-old Tiffany and 11-year-old Dwayne. The couple married the following year, and according to Jimmy's sister, he was very excited to be a father to the kids because he had never had kids of his own. And his faith was also extremely important to him. So much so that he took the opportunity to serve as the minister of Johnson Street Church, sorry, Johnson Street Church of Christ in Benton, Arkansas. So he made a two to three hour long one way trip every Sunday to go work at the church and then go back. There weren't any churches closer. I he might have had family connections and stuff there right. too. Okay. Um since uh, he did yeah. grow up in I kinda Arkansas. Forgot, kinda forgot about yeah. that. So i But still I feel like there had to I didn't like when we first moved here for a while we were going to a church and it was like a half an hour drive and I was like, This this is butts. <laughs> I don't like this. So that's a sidetrack, but it's difficult to like really immerse yourself in the community when you live so far away. But he worked there. He was the minister. So like, yeah, I guess that's a little different, different yeah. experience than just attending a church and not living in that community. Yeah. So, you know, that's it, true. It is what it is. Unfortunately, 
This wonderful life Jimmy built began to crumble when Carla asked for a divorce after eight years of marriage. No one knows exactly what the issues were, but Jimmy's sister speculated that there was something that actually happened early on in their relationship that was never really resolved. Right. Carla says it just kind of came down to, like, they fell out of love. Yeah. So, we'll see. That's ominous and foreboding. (laughs) But Jimmy being a minister, he did not want to end the marriage. Yeah. Gotta save face. Oh, and also he doesn't believe in divorce. That came out like I was being like, well, yeah, he doesn't want to show. He doesn't believe in divorce. It was just the way that my brain weren't. He didn't even want. I get. I'm not being judgmental. My brain is just slow. (laughs) (laughs) He didn't even want to get separated, but initially. Yeah. he, like, fought that as well, but basically, like, what are you going to do? So Carla left. They were separated for four years. Then he finally reluctantly agreed to the divorce, and he actually filed for the divorce in the beginning of 2013. Okay. Two weeks later, on Friday, February 22nd of 2013, The Shelby County Sheriff's Department received a call from the school resource officer of Ridgeway High School stating that Jimmy had not shown up for work for two days and no one could get a hold of him. Right. That's not good. And this is why we're employed. (laughs) Yes. That's our next sticker. Yeah. I'm employed, so if I die, they know I'm dead. No. Just, and this is why we're employed. Officers went to Jimmy's home to conduct a welfare check. There was no answer when they knocked, and they found the home to be securely locked up when they walked around. Until one of the officers looked through what I'm assuming were like patio or deck glass doors, Mm -hmm. and he saw what appeared to be a shell casing on the floor. Oh, no. So they forced entry into the home and found Jimmy lying in a pool of blood on the living room or den floor. Okay. Detectives saw that he had been shot multiple times and immediately concluded that the shooter definitely wanted Jimmy dead. The autopsy would later confirm he had 13 distant gunshot wounds to his head and torso. Wow, that's a lot. Yeah. There was no evidence of forced entry and the home appeared to be intact. Detectives also found that the house had been locked up in a way that indicated the shooter had a key to the home, and Jimmy's wallet was still in his pocket. So, clearly, they kind of ruled out robbery, burglary. Right, but as I've said before, those things typically don't result in murder, so, like, that shouldn't usually be, like, the first thing that they rule out. I mean, I'm not, like, a crime statistic person, but... yeah. Ten shell casings from a forty caliber pistol were found on the floor, but they noticed there were two different brands. Okay. So detectives were uncertain if they were looking for two shooters or just one shooter with a mix of ammunition. Well, I mean, I can see how it would easily be both. I worked with people who um, were like big gun people before. And, like, they would have clients who would give them bullets as a gift. You know, it, it yeah. could. It, yeah. Ammunition is, in the South, a gift sometimes. 
yes. to people who have guns. So it, it may just be like a... Yeah. Forensic investigators were able to lift shoe prints from the floor just inside the front door, but they were unable to lift any fingerprints. Mm-hmm. So their next step was to swab for samples of DNA from all the doorknobs. And then the detectives' next steps were to determine when Jimmy was killed. So they went through records because they're thinking this dude was shot 13 times. How did nobody hear this? Right. How did nobody? Well, they did. They found that a shots fired call came into their office at 8.50 p.m. two days prior to the discovery of his body. I was going to say, like, we we should have a pretty clear timeline as to when, and not like a, you know, I just mean like it's not been weeks. It's been at least, he didn't show up for work for two days. So, you know, it's been at least two days. Yeah. Like. They just want to confirm that. Oh, no, I know. I'm just, if I was them, I'd be like, well. Yeah. If it was Monday and they called on Tuesday, said he didn't show up, he at least was there on Friday. So we know it was between Saturday and now or Friday night or whatever. When that call came in, when the shots fired call came in, a an officer came and like patrolled through the neighborhood and made note that they called it like a semi-gated or partially gated community. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently at the front of the neighborhood, there was a gate, a security gate, but there's apparently a back way out of the neighborhood that was not gated when the police officer went through. I've seen that before. Yeah. So. Detectives then interviewed Jimmy's mother and sister, who informed them that he was a beloved member of the community and they had no idea who would want to harm him. However, they also let detectives know he had recently filed for divorce. Yep. So, they have to look into, okay, how ugly is this divorce? What was this all about? So they asked Carla and her two kids to meet for interviews as well. Because yeah, her children are, are, are grown at, at this, this point. point They're adults. Yes. At this point, um, her daughter is well into her 20s. And her son is, I believe, 19, 18, 19. So, her son's name was Dwayne. And so now I'm thinking of The Rock. <laughs> it's Dwayne. Dwayne The Rock. Dwayne the Rock McClain. No, his last name's different. His last name is Moore. Mm. So. Do you smell what he's cooking? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord, help us. <laughs> okay. So Carla and her two kids go to the station, and she tells detectives that there was no bad blood between she and Jimmy, that they had simply fallen out of love. She did admit that As her kids grew older, their parenting styles were in conflict, and she often took her kids' side because she felt that Jimmy was too hard on them. Well, I mean, they were, you know, I'm not not a parent, so I'm going to shut up. Yeah. From the sound of it in the docuseries that I watched, it sounded like he was, you know, I mean, he was a minister. So it was just yeah. the the whole, I don't know that he ever fi- got physical with them. There's no indication of that. But he definitely was stricter and just had the whole mentality. And he was a basketball player. So I think he wanted her son in particular. There was kind of like some talk, even his sister said, like he was very invested in them, particularly the son. 
I think partially because the son was younger. And so it made it a little bit easier to like bond because the daughter was already an older teenager when they got married. So she's probably already feeling like I'm already raised, like you don't need to father me. And then the son was younger, so that was fine. But the truth of the matter is it's not his son. And if he was pushing like basketball or sports or be like this, be like I was, well, that's not your son. So he's, I don't know. I'm a... I'm big on like genetics are huge. Yeah. Like I studied child development in my early years of college and there's the whole nurture versus nature debate. But let me tell you, both from what I've seen teaching preschool and whatnot, as well as I've seen in my own family amongst children that aren't necessarily being raised by their biological parents, but yet they do the same things they think the same way mm-hmm. they act the same way they're interested in the same things that kind of stuff and them genetics be strong it is crazy they be strong so there you go i don't think what jimmy was doing was anything awful but i do think that he was maybe placing expectations on the kids that they just weren't comfortable with and carla sided with them well like you'll see that in in families that aren't blended too like that as the kids get older their parenting is you know yeah different yep when asked she also admitted that she did stand to benefit from a life insurance policy okay but but, like it doesn't necessarily necessarily mean that it's her fault because like i yeah but detectives still have to right poke and prod into that oh and i don't blame them like i get it yeah so next detectives asked if she still had a key to jimmy's house to which carla said she didn't think so not that she could remember so it was kind of a vague it wasn't a definite no so i can't get a feel yeah I mean, I don't, I don't know. Something in my gush, just like I don't think that she was involved, but I've been wrong before, and I will be wrong again. I'm sure. So finally, they asked her about an alibi, and she said it was raining that night, so she stayed home and read a book in bed. The only person she claimed could verify that was her son Dwayne, because according to her, he had been home as well. Dwayne was 19 years old, as I said, um, and he was still living with Carla. So when they brought him in for questioning, they questioned them all separately. And when they brought him in, he told detectives what time he believed Carla had come home that evening uh, or afternoon. And then he claimed that the two of them went to their bedrooms that night and, and didn't actually see each other again until the next day. So detectives asked about his relationship with Jimmy and Dwayne said, quote, it was cool. You know, we bumped heads a little bit sometimes. He was straight up other than that. He was cool. A fun-loving person. Okay, I don't see anything wrong with that. Yeah. He was fairly convincing. Um, oh, that's not a good word. <laughs> <laughs> he was convincing that he couldn't believe what ha- had happened and that he had no idea who would want to hurt Jimmy. So I just mean they kind of backed off of him. And Carla, yeah, because they felt like, well, you know, yeah, like Dwayne was kind of acting a little bit nervous, but who wouldn't be when they're being questioned, right? And your stepdad just died, like by the cops, yeah. 
it's a lot of change happening. Your parents are separating or your step parents are separating and you're then yeah. your stepdad is murdered and you're it's a lot. I would yeah. be nervous. I'd be a disaster. So the detectives then moved on to Carla's daughter, Tiffany, who was very direct about her feelings. Oh, well, she's the oldest daughter. Do you expect anything else? <laughs> she said she didn't like being parented by Jimmy and moved out because they would butt heads often. Okay. And she yeah. said it with gumption. Yeah. But she was at home, not at Carla's, at her home with her boyfriend the evening of the murder. So the detectives just asked for one last thing. They asked for their cell phones so they could retrieve data about where their phones were to confirm everybody's alibis. Carla and Tiffany handed the phones over, but Dwayne claimed to not have a phone. He said he just used Carla's phone as necessary. What year is this? 2013. And he is 19 19. years old? And he doesn't have a phone? Well, they struggle financially, so. Okay. All right. I'll just say that. Well, he may not have had, like, a phone, but did he have an iPod? Did he have? No. Okay. While they waited for those data reports, detectives moved on digging into Jimmy's work life. So they went to the school. Yeah. And not a single coworker had a bad word to say about Jimmy. What did Scotty Pippen have to say? <laughs> but yeah, I mean that's a good that's a good thing because like you know yeah. I feel like you spend so much time at work. Yeah, that your coworkers are a great indication of like who you are. Yes, and they were all, all all of them. Every single one of them was like, "No, he's a great guy." Yeah, and the kids love him, and we love him. Yeah, so it was kind of a dead end. Then the report for Jimmy's cell phone came in and they discovered he had been texting just before he was killed. (gasps) Who was he texting? The texts were to a woman named Carlotta Pamela Smith. Carlotta? She may just go by Pam Smith. That's what they referred to her in one of my sources. But in court documents, she is Carlotta Pamela Smith. Okay. So in any case, they're like, who is this person? We don't know this person. Um, but they noticed that the text included either an address or some directions. And then just minutes before the call about the shots being fired, the text between Jimmy and Carlotta was just like, okay, good night, like ended. Okay. So it didn't appear that they were supposed to meet up or anything right. at that point. Like I said, though, they had one little problem, and that is they didn't know who this person was. So they took a stab, and they called her number and just yeah. asked. See what, who they are said, you? do you know Jimmy McLean? And she told them, yes, he's my boyfriend. Oh. And when they informed her of his death, she was notably distraught, and she offered to come there okay. and talk to them. Okay. Because Carlotta actually lived in Nashville, over three hours away from the crime. Okay. So she met with detectives and explained that she and Jimmy had only been dating about six months. And there was no complications to their relationship. 
you know, obviously I'm that's an abbreviated version. They asked her, right. well, are you married? Do you have are you dating other people? Blah, blah, blah. All of that. And they basically concluded, no, this seems to be like a healthy relationship. And it would make sense that he's now dating her for six months and now he's like, okay, moving forward with the divorce process, right? Right. They didn't find that she or anyone in her life would have had motive to kill him. She also gave them her alibi for that evening, which was in Nashville, and was very willing to hand over her cell phone. All right, Carlotta. They also asked Carlotta if she had a key to the house. And to their surprise, she said, no, but I know who does. Oh, shit. (laughs) Also, I feel like we should just call her Pam because I feel like you said that they called her Pam. Yeah, they called her Pam and I don't know why. I don't know if she just goes by Pam or if they did that for the docuseries. So I'm sorry if you didn't want like your first, your real first name out there. But it is in court records, which were public as well. I mean, I I didn't. Yeah, that's. Well, you're not, like, showing up at her house, like, give me your first name, like, whatever. So. I just feel like, I'm just like, what if if she just goes by Pam and it's weird for her to hear Carlotta? Not that she's listening. We've established I'm not thinking clearly. I'm overthinking today. I don't know what's (laughs) going on with me. It's okay. So she tells detectives that she overheard Jimmy on the phone with Carla once. And that Carla was asking him if she could stop by to pick up some mail or a package or something that had come for her. And when Carlotta, sorry, when Pam, <laughs> when Pam and Pam and Jim. Aww. Okay. So when Pam and Jimmy left the house. She thought it was strange that he left the mail in the house instead of placing it back in the oh. mailbox or leaving it like tucked in the front door or something like that. Or under the mat. Yeah. You know, where mail goes when you're, yeah. Yes. So, of course, they let Pam go. Like, she's, she's, yeah, cool. They were fairly confident that she had nothing to do with she it. She is cool. I'm going to go on record. Yeah. My safe to go on record and say yes. she's cool. Yeah. She's cool. She's cool. <laughs> Detectives dive back into everything. They check the reports from Carla and Tiffany's cell phone and then find that both of the phones were at their homes just as they had said. However, they had not completely ruled them out as they needed to comb through, like, all of the phone data. They wanted to look at, like, phone calls and texts and all of that stuff. Well, and also, like, you can leave your phone at home. Yes. You know? That is true. In the meantime, the forensics reports had then come in, and unfortunately, they did not reveal much. There was no DNA or fingerprints that weren't supposed to be there or weren't explained mm-hmm. yeah. away. Like, there's no strangers. Right. But they already suspected that because they suspected that whoever did it had a key to the house, so... But what they were able to identify was one of the shoe prints in the entryway as a Nike Air Force One between size 10 and 11. That's a young person's shoe. Tis. I mean, it was in 2013. They're pretty mainstream now. Like, everybody can wear, you know, an Air Force. But in 2013, you know, that's a young person's shoe. 
maybe maybe a young person without a phone. I don't know. Maybe. But right around the same time, they also received word there was something scandalous <gasps> that had happened with the basketball team at Ridgeway High School. A scandalous. And they decided they needed to determine if it had anything to do with Jimmy's murder. Oh my gosh, I have no idea where this is going. So administration at the school informed detectives that the student at the center of the scandal is one Mackenzie Sewell. They pronounced it Sewell. I'm not sure if it's Sewell or just Soul. It's yeah. the spelling. They had found out that Mackenzie had falsified his transcripts in order to continue playing basketball in an attempt to try and get a scholarship to play in college. Okay. Mackenzie was, in fact, two years older than he claimed to be and had already earned his GED. Holy moly. So he was technically an adult. What a fib. Yes. Of course. The detectives are like, whoa, red flag. (laughs) Yeah. We need to check into this guy. They were not able to question him because he immediately lawyered up. Right. And I mean, if he had just been caught in a lie and then the coach died. Yeah. I don't blame him for lawyering up right away because that's what I would do. As we've previously discussed, if anybody in my close life gets murdered, Lawyer, I'm finding I'm finding an attorney. Yes, I'm going to be calling my boss. Get me somebody good. (laughs) (laughs) Do your best. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So they couldn't talk to him. But who they could talk to was the person who registered him for school. Because remember, he's supposed to be a high school student. He can't just like register himself. So they talked to who they thought was his mother. Chandra, and things got even weirder. Chandra admitted to detectives that she is, in fact, not his mother, but his wife. <gasps> and she's the one who reported him to the school. Oh my gosh. Apparently, he had begun a relationship with a girl at the high school. And she found out, so she said, you're done. Yeah, as she should. As she should. I mean, she shouldn't have freaking registered him for high no. school to begin with. No. But, like, yeah. So. I mean, she could have also called the police. All of that is fascinating information, but it actually turned out to have nothing to do with Jenny. <gasps> oh, dang. But, I mean, it's such a good part of the story. I know. <laughs> That's why I included it. Thank you. <laughs> so... Detectives were kind of like back to square one, back to the beginning. And they started combing back over everything they had. And that's when they noticed in the data report that Carla's phone had been used to text two different numbers between 6 and 9 p.m. the night of the murder, but the messages had been deleted from her actual phone. Well, because we all know that that means that they're deleted forever. Well, they just had the data. So they just ha- they have no idea what the messages said, but they see that there were texts that went from that number to right. that number. But and then theoretically they could subpoena the phone company. Like even, the they could get that information. But yes. Possibly. I don't know. They I don't know that they ever do. They could. I'm just saying they could. I, they didn't. Okay, cool. 
I was I'm just saying I was making a joke about like you know when you delete stuff it's yeah no I it's still it's not they still could yeah. find it but like it's harder yeah anyway so but they did identify the numbers being texted as belonging to a Robert Collins and the second number to a Heather Feimster and they were immediately able to identify who Robert Collins was because he had a record of dealing drugs Concerned about that red flag, detectives brought Carla back in to ask her about the messages. And she said... I know what she's going to say. What? I'm going to assume that she's going to say that her son used her phone because he said he uses it occasionally. Ding, ding, ding. (laughs) You win. Yay. What do I win? Slim chickens. (laughs) Yay. (laughs) That's what we're having for lunch. Sorry. Um... Yeah, she said that they were Dwayne's texts to his friend Robert and girlfriend Heather. Okay, so we have a girlfriend. She admitted that she didn't like Robert very much, and while she didn't really want Dwayne hanging out with him, they were still the closest of friends. She also said that Heather was a nice girl who lived in Cordova, which is just east of Memphis, like Memphis proper, if you will. And mentioned that Heather had stopped over to their house the night in question, which was not mentioned. Yeah. Before. That wasn't on your original timeline, friend. So detectives then asked Dwayne to come back in for some more questions. And this time, Dwayne's story changed a little bit. He said his mom came home. And that he texted with a friend, and then he left for a while to go smoke with, quote, the white boy. I'm going to go smoke with the white boy. At some apartment complex. And then he stopped into the French Riviera Spa to use the restroom before going back home for the evening. Now, are you thinking what I thought? Based on your face, I think you are. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. What do you think? <laughs> I immediately looked up the French Riviera yeah, Spa. Thank you. <laughs> because I was like, mm, you went in just to use the restroom? I don't think that that's really how those places I... work. It really sounds, it sounds, it's a horrible name. It sounds like, you know, the blacked out window massage places that we all know what's going on in there, right? No, it's apparently not. It's actually like when you look it up, it says it's like a fitness center slash No, I kind of was thinking like a spa. I didn't think of it as like a massage parlor. Oh, I thought of it as like a... Like a happy ending massage massage parlor. (laughs) I guess. I can see why you thought that, though. Because he specifically said that he went in to use the restroom, but he was there for like 10 minutes. I'm like, the man got a poop. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Apparently. Anywho, they're like, okay, well, your story has changed, but what are we going to do with that? You know, so we need to we need to track down this Heather person. So they bring Heather in, and while speaking with her about the text, she gave them a piece of relevant information while discussing the shoe prints. Oh, okay. She admitted that Dwayne had a pair of Nike Air Force Ones. To her knowledge, he wore a size 10 and a half. I will say, though, that doesn't necessarily mean anything because I swear to you, every single person has has them. Every single person has them. So, she said that she last saw them out on the porch because they were muddy, but that she had not seen them since. 
Then she proceeded to show them a picture of Dwayne standing in a kitchen holding. Let me back up a second. She's showing them this picture because she's like, here's what they look like. I have a picture of him wearing them. Right. But the picture. Now, mind you, like this, these kids are like 18, 19 years old, right? Okay. She shows them a picture of Dwayne standing in a kitchen holding an AR-15 and wearing a trapper hat, pants, and those shoes, but no shirt. <laughs> um, And by trapper hat, do you know what a trapper I, hat is? I think I do. It's like the, I think they originated from Russia. It's like got the ear flaps and they're furry inside, and okay. then you have the flap up front that folds up. That that's is all not, furry. That's not what I thought, but that's hilarious. What a combo. Yeah, I hope that you can find that for... Our social media poster. I will, I will, I will try to help you find that because it's worth it. Although it does have an AR-15 in it, so I don't know what the rules are on, you know. Uh, yeah, we can't having... post it, but um, I will zoom in on the trapper hat. Yeah, there you go. That works. Okay, so detectives then quickly execute a search warrant for Carla's home, but they found nothing, nothing at all. Nothing. Not the shoes not weapons. They found nothing. Detectives were desperate to get a hold of those text messages between Dwayne and Robert. Right. So while they awaited a search warrant for Robert's phone, they began surveillance on him. And within hours, he came out of his house. And when the detectives approached him, he took off running. And as he was running, he tossed a gun, which they, of course, saw and confiscated and they eventually caught up to him and found a large amount of narcotics on him okay so they sent the gun and his phone off to be checked and it was quickly determined that it was not the gun used to kill jimmy but detectives were hopeful that robert may work with them as he was possibly facing federal charges for possession of the narcotics and an unregistered weapon your however he had zero interest in cooperating okay, i mean yeah I, i'm okay you can he was like you can go to jail <laughs> send me to jail i'll do it okay yep And unfortunately, he, too, had deleted the text from that night. Though he did so, detectives did find pictures on his phone of the same type of gun used to kill Jimmy. Mm Mm-hmm. Just the day before the murder, Robert took pictures of the gun and a bunch of money on a bed. And the unique bedspread in that photo looked remarkably familiar to one of the detectives. Mm. So they pulled out, like, other pictures that they had from, like, the search warrants and everything. And sure enough, when they compared it, they found that one of the pictures of Dwayne standing next to a bed with that same unique bedspread. Interesting. So Robert is booked and placed in jail, and the first thing he did was call someone and say, hey, that pit bull is real sick, and the guy on the other end clearly did not catch the meaning because he just started laughing. So Robert took an even more serious tone and said, no, man, 
That pit bull is real, real sick, and I probably shouldn't have sold it to you. You should get rid of it. Okay. Friends. <laughs> Friends. Friends. You know, I'm just going to let... They know what it means. Yeah, we're just going to let this one play out, because I don't, you know... She knows. They traced the call to a kid named Jamarius Cooper, who lived in Cordova. And after getting an emergency search warrant, they raced to Jamarius' house to look for the gun. And then they arrived at the house to find Jamarius nursing a sick pit bull back to health. Just kidding. I was going to say, <laughs> I would laugh, but the look on your face. I knew you were kidding. Because if it had actually been a sick pit bull, I would have peed my pants laughing. That's so funny. No, it wasn't. Well, can you imagine? <laughs> I'm sorry. Can you imagine that they go to the trouble of getting an emergency search warrant, which is not easy, and then they show up and he's just like feeding it a bottle? <laughs> that actually probably would have been a genius thing to do if he could get his so hands on a funny. sick pit bull. Because they they would have been like, "What the what? hell, dude?" <laughs> Well, Jamarius wasn't there, I believe. So they execute the search warrant without him there and well into the search in a box in the back of the closet, an officer found it. Within hours, they got the confirmation that it was a match to the gun that killed Jimmy. So... Are you telling me it wasn't? It was. It wasn't a pit bull? It was not a pit bull. It was, it was a, a gun. gun. Oh my gosh, you know, I was so shocked because that code was just so good. It's so good. So police are then trying to track down Jamarius for questioning. And they then get a call from the Cumberland County Sheriff's Office. And if you're unfamiliar, uh, Memphis is in Shelby County, which is at the far west end of the state. And Cumberland County is in eastern Tennessee, about like five or six hours away. But the officers in Cumberland County tell detectives that a woman came into their station wearing pajamas and was very upset, very distraught. And she stated that she needed to report some information. She went on to tell the officers that her husband was upset because his nephew had admitted to killing a basketball coach. Oh, my Lord. Now, I hate to say it, but it kind of got the impression that from the source that the officers were confused at first because the woman was white and Mm -hmm. like Jimmy McLean and Carla and Dwayne and all of them. Are black. Right. So they were like, what are you possibly talking about? It's 2013. Bruh. Bruh. (laughs) I mean, I can't say that for sure, but that's kind of like this. There's just like this underlying tone to the whole thing. You can kind of tell people are like, what? (laughs) Yeah. But anyway, they follow that lead and they quickly learned that she was in fact married to Carla McLean's brother, Donald Page. So, they bring Donald in, and when they questioned Donald, he refused to talk until they reminded him that if he withheld information, he could be convicted of accessory or obstruction. Already on parole for a felony, Donald changed his tune. 
pretty quickly. Yeah, because that would be a violation of his parole as well. Yes. And he admitted that Dwayne told him that he killed Jimmy because he had to stand up for Carla. So on March 26, 2013, just a little over a month after they found Jimmy's body, Dwayne Moore was arrested and charged with first-degree premeditated murder. The trial took place over a year later in June of 2014. And the prosecution's theory was that Dwayne planned on killing Jenny. Mm -hmm. They believed Dwayne not only wanted to avenge his mother's honor, as he had told his uncle, but they also believed money played a role in the motive because Carla had been struggling financially. And while she was due to, like, get something from the divorce. I don't have like figures, but I'm guessing that the insurance policy was going to pay out way more more than she would have gotten in the divorce. Well, and they were still married. So like technically. Yes. I don't know Tennessee law, but. Yep. So in addition to what we've already covered in the investigation, the state presented evidence that the gun found at Jamarius's house had been traced back to a man named Robert Dixon, who had reported the gun stolen. And Jamarius testified that he made arrangements to buy the gun from Robert Collins, but that it was a guy Robert called, quote, little bro who delivered it. And that is relevant in the sense that while he didn't point out Dwayne Moore as little bro, I believe multiple people had told detectives that Robert and Dwayne referred to each other as big bro, little bro. Right. So, the prosecution had multiple witnesses, including Jimmy's sister Easter and his girlfriend Pam. Easter testified that Jimmy had recounted multiple arguments or altercations he had with Dwayne and Tiffany and even explicitly told her that if anything ever did happen to him, one or both of them would likely be the ones responsible. Yeah, that's so smart. If you plan on killing somebody, you should tell somebody that you're going to do it. No, Jimmy told his sister, like, if anything ever happens... We don't know for sure that they ever made threats. They definitely made threats to, like, beat him up and that sort of thing. But he just knew, like, things are tense. This isn't good. I'm sorry. I was confused. Yeah, there's a lot of people involved. So There are a lot of people. (laughs) There's a lot of names to keep up with. Although I I will say I like the name Easter. I've never heard it as a name before. Yeah. Pam, his girlfriend, testified to witnessing multiple contentious phone conversations between Jimmy and Carla about Dwayne. That wasn't great, of course. Neither of their testimonies were great, but the damning testimony really came from others. Of course, in order to avoid being charged himself, Dwayne's uncle, Donald, testified against him stating that he had gone to visit Carla within days after Jimmy's body being found. He went on to say that Dwayne had pulled him aside privately and told him that he, quote, looked out for mama and that he had, quote, had to handle business. When, When Donald asked Dwayne what that meant, Dwayne told him that during a discussion over the divorce, Jimmy had, quote, got out of line. And that he was not going to let nobody disrespect her and 
talk to her the way he did. Okay. Donald asked him directly if he had something to do with Jimmy's murder, and Dwayne just looked crazy at him, he says. He just gave him, like, a look of, like, are you crazy? Yeah. Or I'm crazy, or I don't know. Something was crazy. In the Something look. was crazy. Yeah. So Donald told him that he didn't want to hear anymore. He's like, stop talking. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> don't have this conversation with me. And that's the last that they talked of it. Heather Feemster, Dwayne's girlfriend, testified that she hadn't heard from Dwayne for a few days, so she texted Carla the night of the murder to ask if she had seen him. She said Dwayne then called her from Carla's phone, and she ended up visiting with him for an hour or less that night. She said that he seemed in the usual spirits, but noted that he seemed in physical pain, particularly favoring one side. Okay. And she also noticed some first aid supplies on his dresser, so she asked where he had been, and he told her that he needed to get a few things off his mind and claimed that he walked to Panola, Mississippi and back. I don't know how far that is, but... Well, I know Memphis is kind of, like, close to the border, so... Yeah. But still, like, you're walking across state lines to get a few things off your mind. They're not it's, a park. Yeah. Interesting. Possibly even more damning than those testimonies was the fact that Dwayne failed to present any evidence in defense and elected not to testify. He really just didn't have much of a defense. I mean, doesn't sound like he really, <laughs> really did. No. no. <laughs> and on June 27th, 2014, the jury found Dwayne guilty of the lesser offense of second degree murder. Because while all the evidence does point to you did this, right? They can't. how do you prove that you, you planned it? Right. They don't know. They can't plan it. He could have just yeah. gone over to the house and had an argument. And Yeah, you can't prove that. There's not enough information. Yes. So the court sentenced him to 22 years without the possibility of parole. Okay. Dwayne, of course, appealed, challenging the sufficiency of evidence and claimed that the trial court erred in allowing the lead detective to, quote, offer improper opinion testimony that the gun in the photograph was the murder weapon and by admitting the photograph and the gun itself without confirming an unbroken chain of custody. Okay. That's a mouthful, but... I hope, but I understand they're they're saying, well, you can't prove that that gun in that picture is the same gun yeah. as the one you found. You just you're yeah. just saying it was. Yeah. The appellate court found no error in allowing the detective's opinion within his testimony because of Tennessee Rule of Evidence seven hundred one a. This rule allows lay witness testimony, which are one, rationally based on the perception of the witness. And two, helpful to a clear understanding of the witness's testimony or the determination of a fact in the issue. So, I mean, yeah, a reasonable person would look at the gun on the same bed and go, yeah, that's probably the same gun. Yeah. It fits the same can of ammo. It And it was a very specific kind of gun. And on the stand, the detective said, I knew that it's that type of gun because... I'm not a gun expert, but that gun in particular stood out to me because 
they got sued over trying to make their gun look like a Glock. So oh. he remembered distinct things about the gun because of there was a hullabaloo <laughs> over, <A> hula <laughs> over them trying to mimic right. another gun. So they're so, like, yeah, it's clearly, it's like people who try and make different kinds of Stanley Cups. <laughs> <laughs> yes. My favorite, though, is Stanley from The Office <laughs> pasted on a cup. Yes. That's my favorite one I've seen so far. <laughs> so the appellate court found his claim about the photographs erroneously being entered into evidence because of the whole chain of custody thing. I love that they aren't trying to argue that it's not the that it's not the murder weapon. They're trying to argue that you can't admit the, the photograph as evidence. Yeah. That, well, because then they're like, well, we never had the gun. You can't prove that we had the gun because the photograph proves that, okay. well, you had the gun. Robert at least had the gun. Right. So, um, fair enough. Anyway, the appellate court said there's no, no merit. There's no merit in that because he basically because he did not object to it at the trial. So the appellate court's like, you lost your opportunity to say that that's not okay. As far as the insufficiency of evidence claim was concerned, the appellate court was basically like, no. When following the rules of evidence that it be viewed in the light most favorable to the state, it is sufficient. Right. So his conviction and sentencing was affirmed. But unfortunately, Dwayne did not make it long into his sentence. Oh. He died in 2021 with the cause on his death certificate listed as asphyxia by hanging. However, Carla made the news, and it's in my sources, for joining some other, there's like an organization or something of mothers of those incarcerated. It was an investigative news story in Tennessee because some of the mothers are fighting against the system because they don't feel that medical care is mm -hmm. up to any kind of standard. And Carla and some of the other mothers are saying this doesn't make sense. My child dying mm -hmm. in prison doesn't make sense. Carla in particular said that Dwayne warned her not to believe them if they ever told her that he killed himself. Oh, interesting. And she claims that he never showed any signs of suicidal thoughts. No, because, I mean, I'm not saying that 20 years in prison wouldn't be really hard and he had 22. It would be, but he's only... He was only he's young. young. Yeah. He would be in his 40s when he was released. Exactly. And that that's not no. It doesn't it it doesn't make sense to me. But no. I don't know if anything else came of that of those um claims. She said she had written letters and everything and she basically said they just don't care. I can probably guarantee you that nothing came of it. Yeah. I found nothing. So, right. But I do want to end on a brighter note. The McLean family found a way to honor Jimmy's memory by starting a scholarship fund in his name at the University of Central Arkansas. So I've linked both the announcement of the scholarship, um, kind of explaining what it is, mm -hmm. and the donation page in the show notes if anyone is interested in learning more. And they will be in our link tree in our um, social media bios. And that is the story. Of Jimmy McLean. Rest in peace, Jimmy. I'm sorry, man. Yeah. It's sad. That's a sad one. He also looked like a really nice guy. He did. Guy. I looked at pictures. 
Yeah. And they even show like a picture of Dwayne when he was really young and he looked like such a sweet kid. I know, you know? I don't know what happened. I understand being angry. I just don't understand that you had to go to that extent to right. defend and I, your and mother. I mean, and we don't know what was going on in their marriage, but it's like murder is never the answer. Yeah. Because now you just Unless, broke your mom's heart all over again. Right. Because now she's lost a son. Yeah. And from what I can tell, like literally in the court documents, from what I can tell, Carla and Jimmy really were like by the time they went to get divorced, like they were on okay. Yeah, terms. I mean they were fo- they were calling. They each were other. the at that point the contention had to do because I think Jimmy still cared enough about the kids and particularly Dwayne that he was like still trying to be like you need to get him under wraps kind of thing. Yeah, and so I think that's where the contention was because even in the court record i think it was pam's testimony she actually admitted in detail when she was asked in further detail about that whole like carla coming to the house to get her mail or package thing yeah jimmy offered jimmy and pam were leaving for like a retreat or something a weekend away or something and he offered to swing by and drop off the mail or the package to carla and carla said that's not right. Like, you shouldn't be bringing... But it was phrased in a way that made it sound like she was more concerned that Pam would be uncomfortable right. going. Like, you don't bring, like, your new girlfriend to drop off something at your soon-to-be ex-wife's house. Like... Yeah. And so it didn't sound like there was it, They weren't fighting. There. Yeah. Like, they were done. Yeah. I mean, listen. Is what it sounded like. So this... Yeah. It's I'm sad. still hung up on the guy who tried to pass off being a high schooler. <laughs> that was crazy. I mean, I can kind of see it, though, because by the time high school boy seniors are seniors, they look so much like adults. Yeah, like it, young adults. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, like, yeah, like young yeah. adults. Some so, of them. When you get my age, they y'all look like right. babies. But, but I remember, like, my mom dropping me off for my first day of high school, and she was like, I'm dropping you off. There's men here. <laughs> Because they look so much older than, like, you know, yeah, little than freshmen. the freshmen. Yeah. Yes. Because they do change so much. But, like, that's still funny to me that he's trying to pass it off. Yeah. If I had had more time, I would have dug further into, like, what happened to that guy? Oh, my <laughs> Lord. Probably nothing. Probably not much. Um, well, do you have yeah. an emoji or? Oh, a basketball. Of I was going to say a basketball is the obvious. A basketball. Choice. Of course. If you made it this far, leave us a basketball. Leave us emoji. a basketball. In honor of Jimmy. Yes. That's all I got. Good job. Thanks. <laughs> A round of applause. <laughs> A round of applause. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, yes. We hope you enjoyed it. This was one that I hadn't heard, so I hope you hadn't heard it, too. Yep. Till next time. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening, guys. Find us on Instagram and TikTok at Burden of Proof Pod and email us at burdenofproofpod at gmail.com.